This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Ullman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, I'm joined by Bard MBA's Corey Skolt, and we're speaking with Ali Kenny, Vice President of Global Strategy and Insights at Burton Snowboards. So, Ali, wonder if you could just give a brief intro of, of Burton for any li- listeners unfamiliar with the company. Yeah, so Burton was started in 1977 by Jake Burton Carpenter um, in a small barn in Vermont. He was really trying to make prototypes of what has become um, snowboards. So he really was probably the most pioneer of what we now know as snowboarding. And um, it wasn't just making the product prototypes, but he really had to, you know, build the entire sport from fighting resorts all over the world to let snowboarders on the hill um, to also simultaneously trying to make a prototype that actually worked and build a business um, that was somehow profitable, um, which it wasn't at first, but years into it, it finally worked out. And, you know, fast forward to now, snowboarding's a global sport in the Olympics, but our company is much more than that. We're still based in Vermont as a privately held company owned by Jake and his wife, Donna, who's also held a really strong lead in the company and is our CEO right now. But yeah, so now we're a global company, offices all over the world. we you know, only half of our business is in snowboarding hard goods and, you know, we're doing soft goods, jackets, fleece, pants, gloves, hats, socks, hoodies, all sorts of stuff and creating experiences. Very cool. So Burton has been kind of a very innovative company from the the real beginning, it sounds like. And tell us about your background. How did you get started at Burton? Um, my, my story is kind of random. Um, I was actually playing international ice hockey. I played in college. Um, and then I was coaching college hockey, and I, while I loved it, it wasn't meant to be the main path in my life. So I reverted back. I had a, um international relations kind of political economy of development degree from Brown um, and used that to my advantage and some connections to get in the door in finance um, uh-huh. at Burton in, uh, right at the end of 2006. Wow, oh, very interesting story, and I always I always find it's, it's really great to hear the sort of winding pathways that people have taken into roles like yours. I'm curious about what the process of beginning to lead the sustainability team at Burton was like, and how did your role there evolve over time? Yeah, so um, like I said, I was in finance, and then I really wanted to kind of move into something different. So I was the product manager of snowboards actually for four years. Um, And in that role, I was traveling all over the world and kind of being the face of snowboarding and snowboards and just, you know, helping on our environmental group. We had an environmental group. We were doing some things internally, but not a ton. So I spent probably four months on my own at night building a proposal business can't but business case and business plan on why Burton needed to do more about sustainability and I actually scheduled time with um, Donna our owner um, then president at the time and sat down one-on-one and presented this proposal to her and I was scared out of my mind but um, Mm -hmm. at the end she was like you know I agree 
and are you saying that it should be you that leads it? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> I am. Uh, but anyway, so then to make a long story short, they were originally thinking of hiring a, a VP and, you know, I was only a product manager at the time. So I had to talk her into still giving me the role. Um, Mm -hmm. and then the rest is history there. So I was able to report directly to her and we Mm -hmm. started from scratch. So we had to define what is sustainability to Burton. And, uh, we did a full materiality study, uh, to understand, we surveyed all of our different stakeholder groups all over the world. Um, and then, you know, put that on a, on a Y axis and X axis versus what's most important to the business and, and prioritize yeah. what are the topics we're going to go after first based on stakeholders and in, in our company. And then we set three year goals and went after it. And that was the beginning. And now we have a team. Um, I have four full time people just working on sustainability at Burton, not including wow. me. Incredible growth in such a short time and really, uh, seems to become a priority for the company um, in, a, in a really impactful way yeah. uh, in a lot shorter time than it takes a lot of companies to get that going. Um, I'm curious, what are the other factors in your sustainability strategy? It's, it's a really fun as an MBA student to hear about materiality matrix and the, the tools that when frameworks that we are learning in, in our classes and thinking about how those are applied in successful businesses. Um, curious how, uh, Consumer engagement might play a role, um, industry coalitions and commitments, any other sort of macro trends, um, and how other departments in the company are involved with setting sustainability strategy. Yeah, so we've always tried to um, set goals that are meaningful across the company. And one of my kind of things from the beginning is I don't want to create a bloated uh, sustainability bureaucracy. It's all about getting Mm -hmm. the internal experts that we already have to continue to be the experts and execute on the actual goals. So our team here is really set up to, to, you know, guide everyone, set the vision, set the strategy, and then um, the teams really go for it from there. So our product teams, you know, we get the credit a lot of times, but they've done a lot of the work on, mm-hmm. you know, things like we have a 100% organic cotton goal by 2020 or, you know, 50% of all the polyester we use has to be recycled and 100% blue sign and things like that. And they're the ones that are doing a lot of that work and finding new sources and factories. Um, mm-hmm. And then our specific team, the sustainability team itself, is more focused on these newer um, kind of tasks that didn't yet live within the company, and that's social responsibility and fair labor. Um, we didn't have a department managing that, so now we have a group managing mm-hmm. that, and we have a sustainable chemistry expert who's a chemist. Um, so those are the roles that fit within our actual sustainability department, but then all the rest of the stuff from packaging goals to product to quality um, you know, and whatever it's facilities and our waste reduction and carbon goals, those are all spread out across the global company, and everyone that's an expert is um, kind of executing on that within their own department. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's been a real key to to your success of uh, getting the sustainability goals really embedded within the company rather than sort of a, uh, while having that sort of top-down support for them, um, but really making it everyone's role. Yeah, uh, and I, I, 
Yeah, and I think that's when one of the the you nailed it. The two key things. I mean, as a privately held company and reporting to one of the co-owners, we've mm-hmm. developed a lot of trust, and and they, you know, Jake and Donna really believe in this work, so it enables us to to come to them and say, hey, this is what we think we should do and why, and they'll be like, all right, let's do it. Um, and so I think doing that combined with making this everyone's job. So since the start, our company goals have included sustainability over the last six years, every single year, and individual employees are judged. Um, you know, their performance reviews are, are based partially on whether they helped us hit these goals. So I think together, no, that's, that's a pretty good setting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was really inspired um, after talking with someone else on your team about uh, and hearing about getting members of the call center into the repair shop to really understand how that process happens and and help customers get really fully engaged with keeping their gear uh, in use and uh, repairing. Um, it sounds like that facilitation process is really effective within your team and um, and spread throughout the company and making those connections across parts of the business and different roles to get everyone really involved and be more effective. Um, I've also been really inspired um, by reading about the history of gender equity at Burton, uh, starting back in 1982 with equal prize money for men and women in the Burton US Open, which I know is still pretty rare um, in a lot of sporting events. And uh, recent huge gains in women's leadership, 10 to 40% of the leadership team. What are your biggest gender equity challenges right now, and how are you tackling them? Um, that's a great question. And uh, one of the other fun stories that didn't, you know, probably most people haven't heard of is uh, Donna paid for all Burton employees to go to the Women's March um, if they uh-huh. wanted to, which was cool. So we had, I don't know, 30 to 40 of us go, all expenses paid down to the Women's March. Wow. Um, which is somewhat symbolic, yeah, but it was such a powerful move for her to take. And it was just, it wasn't, you know, she, I remember walking to her office and she was like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But uh, I would say, I think our biggest gender challenge right now, I would say probably isn't an internal one at this point. Um, I mm-hmm. can't say that about historically as a board sports or even sport, sporting goods in general company, but it, things mm-hmm. have changed so dramatically um, over the last, I'd say, 15 years here that with Donna at the helm, it's just it's part of everyday business. Like women are respected as equals. We have almost mm-hmm. equal levels in leadership at different levels. There are more women than men. Um, so I honestly, I don't feel that we have an internal issue so much as a sort of a larger issue, which is, you know, the sport, the industry, um, maybe even the brand's outreach, and then all the way up to a societal issue. Um mm-hmm. So I think I I think we're at a really unique moment in time because we're simultaneously experiencing the Me Too movement while being led by an administration that, you know, isn't necessarily always showing respect for women. So I think mm-hmm. what we're doing as a company is realizing that we need to make an impact wherever we can. So it's not only through, you know, making sure our internal women are empowered and we have women in leadership, but it's also to kind of blow that out even for, further and make sure that women feel accepted in snowboarding or in the outdoor mm-hmm. industry and that we're a company that's making gear that works better for women. Um, and we're using respectful imagery 
and encouraging kind of meetups and stuff like that. So I think um, to me, that's the larger issue is that companies really need to take women seriously. And people are talking about that a lot now and saying they're gonna, but it's like, it's still a question of, are we going to just decorate women or are we going to actually empower them? And I think that's, that's what's happening right now. And I hope we go in the empowerment direction. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And sounds like one of those, the many issues in our sort of current political climate that um, becoming more and more important for for businesses to step up and kind of take up more active leadership roles, engaging with those issues as, you know, we don't necessarily see the progress we can make in, in the policy realm. So it's, yep. it's really uh, reassuring when we, when we see businesses um, taking that active role, um, really stepping into the leadership that they can take and sharing what their successes are internally. Um, Thinking um, in terms of the environmental sustainability piece, uh, another component of your business that um, I've been really excited about is the commitments that support a shift towards circular business models, um, your preferred materials commitments, um, working to improve and uh, kind of reinforce your reputation for durability, increasing repair, and trying to you know, keep things cycling at their highest, best use longer and, and make sure they're recyclable at the end of life. Um, are those things that you have um, that sort of have come from different parts of the sustainability strategy or has there been a sort of circular economy goal overarching and how much does that influence your sustainability initiatives right now? Um. That's a great question. I mean, we don't actually use the term circular economy too mm-hmm. often um, within the walls of Burton, um, just because I think there's so many things that we can do um, to fundamentally change the way we do business in a different way, because I think circular mm-hmm. economy is often now used um, in a way that somewhat cheapens it uh, in the sense that like apparel retailers are offering, you know, bring back your old clothes and we'll recycle mm-hmm. them and give you a discount for new ones. And um, and and then there's all that controversy about where that clothing is going and it's really kind yeah. of just getting rid of the guilt in the garage sense. Absolutely. So, um, you know, we're trying to fundamentally change all the areas that impact our business um, the most. And, you know, we can talk about it in a second, but something like life cycle assessment and using software to really hone in there allows mm-hmm. us to really understand where our highest impact impact is as a manufacturing company and across all of our product lines. So we're mm-hmm. trying to do, um, like I said, change the way we run our business. So some examples are um, shifting all of our soft goods to lifetime warranty and doubling our repair amount so that, you know, we're at just over 20% of global warranty claims are repaired. We're going to double that within the next couple of years. Um, And, you know, some of the, and then we have all these R&D initiatives going on and one of them is snowboards. And we've worked for probably six years on trying to find a way to recycle snowboards. But the issue is they're made out of, metal, wood, plastic, resin, mm-hmm. um, all sorts of different materials as they're currently manufactured. And that makes it so all you can do is chop it up into really small pieces, maybe pull out the metal with magnets, and then turn yeah. it, downcycle it into 
slop <laughs> or filler. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we are working, you know, we have a small amount of our board line now using this product called Re-Res, and it's a resin, which is the glue that holds a snowboard together. Um, mm-hmm. That actually, if you put if you put the scrap or the actual snowboard in a an acidic solution, a safe acidic solution at the end of its life, it actually you can separate out all the materials um, oh, wow. and then turn them into other uses and even upcycle them. So that's the kind of thing we're trying to think about when we think about circular economy versus like let's figure out a way to just you know, like chop stuff up and get rid of it so we can sell new yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it, it sounds like really looking at it from a full systems approach and yeah, not just taking the sort of easy path of one isolated initiative that might make feel customers feel better, but isn't truly cycling materials back into uh, streams of use. Um, and the repair goal is incredible. As you big, even among companies that offer great warranties, they're often replacing with a new product rather than repairing, which uh, doesn't you know meet the customer's need, but doesn't keep truly keep the uh, the product cycling as long as it could. Um, so that's really exciting to hear. Yeah, about. and it's you you wouldn't believe it. I mean, this was happening with us while I've you know while I've since I've been at Burton, but we'd have a backpack come back. We have lifetime warranty on all our bags, and mm-hmm. it literally have like two stitches. I we do these stints where you work in other departments to get to know the end customer and I washed this mm-hmm. bag come back and there was like two stitches out of it. It was perfectly functioning and we took it back and yeah. we weren't doing repair yet and it literally went in that pile to be to get rid of and they got a mm-hmm. brand new backpack and I was like, wait a second, this is crazy. <laughs> this can't be right. <laughs> so yeah, we've come yeah. a long way. There's certainly a long way to go, but um if all the brands started to focus on repair, we'd be um, in a much better place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, a area where there's so much opportunity to to do some real environmental good um, in, a, in a very doable manner. Um, although I I know that it can't, it doesn't always seem that way in terms of fitting that process into an existing business model. Yeah. Um, but the companies that are sort of figuring that out and figuring out the, the models that work, I think, will have a really big impact. Um, and you mentioned using um, tools like lifecycle analysis to uh, identify where the biggest opportunities for impact have. And I know you used the HIG index uh, early on in your process. Um, are there, how do those tools um, fit into your strategy? And, and are there any others or tools and metrics that have become very important to you? Yeah, so we've been a huge supporter of the HIG index. We've been piloting it for hard goods for, I don't know, at least six years now um, as a brand kind of leading the way and making it a useful tool. And we absolutely believe that's the future um, of sustainability is that we need to have a singular um, scoring system and way um, to verify that so that everyone all the way down to the end customer uh, can make informed judgments um, and Mm -hmm. retailers can make informed judgments when they're deciding what brands to buy from and um, so I think people say the customer doesn't care but I honestly think a lot of people do they just don't know what to trust and there isn't a singular Mm -hmm. source there's so much greenwashing so I, I believe it's our responsibility to continue to develop this tool even though the returns aren't necessarily going to be immediate for a brand that's Mm -hmm. investing in that. So it's somewhat of a selfless act for a brand 
um, in some ways, not necessarily the brand assessment where you're going in and figuring out like, you know, what is what are best practices and how do I improve? And there are certain returns right away. Um, but the other thing that we have going um, in the meantime that's become the foundation of everything we do around hard goods, which hard goods is kind of a um, internal industry term, but that means anything from uh, snowboards, boots, bindings, helmets, goggles. Uh, so that's mm -hmm. how we classify hard goods here. So all of those products, we're using lifecycle assessment software. Uh, we use SEMA Pro, it's called. Um, and I collaborate with Ben & Jerry's and 7th Generation and some iconic sustainability brands that are also in the Burlington, Vermont area. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, someone there at 7th at Generation mentored me and um, kind of showed me the software. So I... Um, talked us into getting that here. So we have uh -huh. um, a lead on our sustainability team, Meg, and some of our engineers that are trained in the software. It's really complicated, um, but our all of our hard goods products are put into this tool from all what resources are extracted, what each little individual part is comprised of, how it was made, how much it weighs, and then every process to produce that. We measure the electricity uh, throughout the process. So from cradle to gate, we have a life cycle assessment for our products, and that allows us to truth, truthfully focus on the highest impact areas um, of what we make, which I don't know of any other brand in our space that's doing anything like that. People outsource yeah. that work sometimes. Um, but so our, our 2020 goal is to have a 20% carbon reduction across all of our hard goods. And in order to do that, we had to use life cycle assessment so we can go after what are the highest impact areas. Um, yeah. And it's it's also somewhat self-serving to us on why we went with life cycle assessment, because I'll never forget we were working on a snowboard with a recycled plastic top sheet back in the early days um, of sustainability here. And the product team and engineers were worried because they were like, I don't know if this is actually better because we have to ship it further and the way to print it is more energy intensive. And so they were kind of just feeling a little icky about it, mm -hmm. um, even though it, any other brand would have been like, you know, the, the sustainable product, recycled pl plastic top sheet. So we realized that it's a complex topic, sustainability, and you got to get dirty into the details if you want to be sure you're doing the right thing. So um, yeah. we're really reliant on those tools and really grateful for them because we can assess anything from packaging decisions on what should this be in a box or molded pulp to, you know, anything like that now. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like even though the the work of going through that process is much more intensive than just sort of picking the recycled product, you can get a lot more momentum behind something that you really know is making the impact that you want to have. Yeah, and that just inspires everyone internally. And that's one of the keys, honestly, to building a successful sustainability program is mm -hmm. people that work at your company have to be inspired. And we sort of have a step up because we're an outdoor company. So people naturally here, most of them love the outdoors and have that built-in respect more so than the average population. But Mm -hmm. um, you still really need to inspire them. And by having some degree of certainty that they are doing the right thing, that's going to help reinforce um, taking further steps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Well, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and your work at Burton with us today and see if there's any uh, kind of last thoughts that we didn't cover in our conversation um, that you want to add about what you're working on right now. Yeah, I think one of the, the last things that I didn't get to is just um, how important the culture is. And I mentioned the inspiration piece, but I think one of the things that's made us so successful here is we are simultaneously building the culture internally around sustainability and things that might seem symbolic or like they don't move the needle, such as we have organic garden plots for any employee that wants them here. We have free kombucha on tap from like a local organic mm -hmm. provider and fruit. And we do, um, these are all volunteer-led initiatives of DIY series, we call them. And, you know, I came in and talked about how to raise backyard chickens. And then somebody else that really knows how to like do long-distance bike packing trips, they come in and show everybody how to like set up their bike and we do free tuning for people's bikes right in May as the riding season comes around so people feel comfortable getting on their bike and and stuff like that. And I think that's been really important for us so that mm -hmm. as people feel it and bring it home and kind of make it more part of their lives, then they're going to be more apt to make those decisions on a daily basis, whether they're deciding how to ship something or, you know, whatever their role is. Mm -hmm. Um so I think that's really important. And then um, another quick story. So when I first set our first three-year goals in 2012 into 13, some of them I had to just make up. I was like, okay, we got to reduce our waste. How much should we reduce it by? How about 50%? I don't know. Like you don't uh -huh. want it to be too low, but you don't want it to be too high. And, um, you know, so you want it to be somewhat attainable but a reach. So anyway, we set our waste reduction goal at headquarters uh, by 50%. And I'm like, all right, how do I do this? So we got 30 composting stations and recycling stations and, that was great, and we reduced it some, but then we were like, okay, we have almost 400 employees here. Each has an individual trash can at their desk with a bag in it. So every night that bag is being taken and emptied. So let alone it's 400 bags, but they're not going to the compost and recycle station. So I was like, I got to steal these trash cans. Mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, as a bandit in the night, you know, sure way to be hated. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> we we came up with the idea, I worked with marketing to have a party. So Burton style, we had a keg party. Um, and this is in 2012. And it was super misty. And it said, bring your trash can, you're not getting it back. And it was Friday at four. And we had we brought everyone up on the roof. And you literally like kicked it was it was branded kick the can. So you would kick yeah. your your trash can off the roof and there were targets and you won prizes and we had like egg toss into trash cans and um anyway sure enough within two hours we had 200 of the trash cans back and wow. um when they gave their trash can back they got a mason jar with the logo that said kick the can and so then it became this thing like even the people that didn't come to the party or busy or whatever or they started coming to my office and being like can i get one of those <laughs> kick the can mm -hmm. jars um, and so the trash cans started piling up and we ended up, um, the key part of this mug is that from then on, we, um, have a rule at company gatherings that, um, it was called the fast lane. So if you bring your kick the can jar or reusable 
cup, you're allowed to get a fast lane, like to the keg or to the kombucha oh, or cool. whatever. So yeah. um, anyway, it's just like, and that enabled us to beat our goal. So we reduced our waste within the first year by 50% by just wow. like, you know, creating the culture around it and making it fun and bringing people in versus, you know, making them feel bad or scolding them. And I think that's a key yeah. to sustainability stuff is you don't want to make people feel guilt or they're, they'll back away. Absolutely. Um, so anyway. That's a really fun story. I'm ready to just hop on plane and come work at Burton now. <laughs> <laughs> um, really love hearing hearing about the work that you're doing there and appreciate you spending time with the Impact Report today. Thank you so much, Allie. Yeah, Thank cool. You. Thanks. Learn more about Burton and their 2020 sustainability goals by visiting burton.com. The Impact Report is taking a break for the summer. New episodes go live starting in September. For the complete lineup and other news, visit us at impactreportpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. BARD MBA in Sustainability is one of a select few graduate programs globally that fully integrates sustainability into a core business curriculum. Learn more at mba.bard.edu.